Good morning, I'm Lester, one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our sermon series of Encountering Jesus, and uh, we hope it's been an encouragement and a challenge to you. We've said that if you want to know who God is, it's to see and read and encounter Jesus in, through Scripture. We're continuing our series by looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Starting from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with the hair, kissed him, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money, money, to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on me. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to complain and say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Renaissance. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. I appreciate that. My name is Aswan. I want y'all get that reference. Uh, sorry, we'll talk about it after service. <laughs> My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so good to be with you. We are continuing. For those who uh, have not been with us the last couple of weeks, we are continuing our series on encounters with Jesus. Um, and here's why. We want to be able to answer the question, who is God? What is God like? How do we get to know him? How do we follow him? And so today, I don't, want to be, I don't want today just to be another time in the series. I want us to really, really critically think about those questions. Uh, from everyone in here, that answering that question or those questions is going to be extremely important to us. Um, and I want us to look deeply at who God is. What is he like? I want you at some point this week to sit down, write that down. Who is God? Who do you think God is? What is he like? What is it like to really follow him? That's the premise and the heart behind our series. Um, Let me pray for us. Daddy, thank you for what you will say to us this morning. Open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our heart to receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who don't know me, I am an avid cereal lover. Cereal is life. Cereal is the most important thing. It's the pillar of breakfast culture. Can I get an amen, somebody? Um, I, I, listen, 
I want to get, I want to see if we have, uh, I want to test our serial IQ right now. When I say Tony, you say? Okay. When I say, uh, you go cuckoo for? When I say snack crackling? Listen, give yourselves a round of applause. I mean, you are, in addition to my biblical, uh, master's in biblical studies, I am working on a degree in serialology to make sure. I love the sugary, the bland, but I hate the, the, the concrete in a box. Those healthy, I don't like those cereals. Nobody buys those. You shouldn't. If you do, you shouldn't. Uh, but growing up, there was one cereal that captured my love and affection, and it was called King Vitamin. Who, who knows? Oh, my gosh, can I hug you after service? Please, yes. I mean, King Vitamin was the most incredible cereal that I could ever taste in my lives. I have been known. That's so sad. So sad. People are hating on King Vitamin. I have been known to watch a whole episode of Gummy Bears and eat a whole box of King Vitamin and do the free mask on the back at the end. Man, King Vitamin was a favorite. But here's the problem. They don't make King Vitamin on the East Coast anymore. And so a few years... I know. <laughs> um, so a few years ago, a friend of mine actually ordered four 10-ounce boxes of King Vitamin and brought it to my house for my birthday. I was like, man, that's probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever gotten, <laughs> ever. Um, and that was one level of gratitude and then very recently, uh, my wife and I were in somewhat of a financial situation. And uh, our, our two youngest daughters, uh, their birthdays are in February, and there's some extra food bills and some, some other bills that were created. I won't specify how we got those other bills, because my wife is here in service today. Um, but everything kind of came converging in on our budget. And so we sat down, we, like, we, we realized we ran out of our money, uh, and there was a lot more month left. <laughs> we wrote down the things that we, we were going to need, and we put a dollar amount next to it, and we looked at each other, and we said, we ain't got it. And we argued, and we prayed, and we prayed, and argued, and argued, and prayed. And somewhere in between, a friend called and was like, hey, y'all going to come through. And I was like, cool, come through. And uh, the friend overheard us talking at the table. And the friend was like, hey, how, how much do you need? Now, uh, I, am, I am thankful that I have a band of brothers that, man, there's, there's nothing we wouldn't do for each other. We, we ride for each other. And um, this wasn't the situation where it's like, yo, I, lo- I forgot my Metro card, bro. Could you swipe me? This, this wasn't that. It wasn't, oh, man, yo, we're at, the, we're at the, uh, the dinner table, and I'm like, hey, listen, man, can somebody put in for me? I, I left my wallet, supposedly, you know? <laughs> like, this wasn't that situation, I mean, we were in need of $1,270. And so he goes, how much do you need? I say, $1,270. He goes, here's $1,300. And it changed. It just, the gratitude, the depth of gratitude that I felt. My wife and I started crying. And there's, even now to this day, there's times where I text him and I'm like, bro, you, you changed my life. You changed my life. It's the, the depth of gratitude was just so deep. And see, here's the truth. You and I experience different levels of gratitude based on what was done for us. You and I experience different levels of gratitude based on what was done for us. It, it, it wasn't about the $1,300, although I was 
uh, needed that. But it wasn't about that. You know what it really was? You know where the depth actually came from? It was produced because I was fully aware that I, in and of myself, was unable to come up with that $1,300. And to have someone graciously provide it for me, man, that type of, the, that type of gratitude just was overwhelming. And listen, I would say uh, today we are going to talk about gratitude. And, and I think that as a church, I want us to be the faith community that, that is kind and loving, and, and not because it's the right Christian thing to do. No, but because there's a depth of gratitude that you're actually living your life from. There's a, there's a, there's a depth that, that only you know how far it goes, that, per, that out of it produces, out of this well of gratitude produces these, these loving and kind acts to people. I'm not saying you have to go home and give somebody $1,300. But I am saying that if, if, if we, uh, the church, if people say that they have dedicated their lives to God, the hallmark of that life should be gratitude expressed in loving kindness. And we should apologize. Hey, if there's anyone in here who, who, who has, who, you're coming back to church for the first time and, and you don't know how to do with the church world and maybe you've been hurt by the church or maybe you don't know where, you're, where you stand in answering the question, who is God and who is Jesus and all this stuff. Man, to you, I want to say I'm sorry. And for those of us who, who have put our faith in Christ, who, who do follow God, we should be saying sorry because some of, some of the meanest ugliest things have been done on, by people who say that they follow God. And that's not the way it should be. Our, the hallmark of our lives should be gratitude. Now today we're going to, to look at an encounter with Jesus. We're going to look at this encounter with Jesus and we're going to say it over and over in this series. Why are we looking at this encounter with Jesus? Because Jesus helps us see who God is and what God is like. God was so amazing that he decided to step into human history, take on human nature to come tell us all about himself in the person of Jesus. Here's how the Bible says it. The Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God. He, Jesus, is the, vi- vi- is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so when we look at Jesus, we're able to accurately diagnose and tell and analyze who God is. The passage uh, that Lester read this morning in in Luke 7, um, it's a story about two people that have encountered Jesus. And there's one person who has no real level of gratitude, and there's another person who has a really deep level of gratitude. The person with no level of gratitude is Simon, and Simon is a Pharisee. And, And let me tell you, have you heard that word Pharisee? I'm sure we've heard that word, but let me explain. Let me give some context around what it meant to to be a Pharisee. See, Pharisees essentially were, quote, unquote, law keepers. They were, in essence, the Christian police. And they would make sure that people followed the laws the way they were supposed to. But here's what we don't often get told about Pharisees. They actually started. They became a sect of people. They became almost like a denomination Uh, if you will. They became a group of people, and here was their premise. See, they became really popular in between uh, Malachi and Matthew. And so that period where the Bible is kind of silent, these Pharisees grew in their popularity. 
And, the, and what they were trying to do is say, hey, people of God, come back. Because people were drifting away from following God. They were like, hey, come back. We have to follow God. The people of God should be following God. And here's how you got to do it. You got to follow the law exactly as it is. All the worship laws, the ceremonial laws, uh, the moral laws that we know as the commandments. You have to follow them to the T. That's the way that you follow God. And so here's how it would look. Uh, the Pharisees essentially would say, um, hey, let's just say that there was a law that said uh, you should not watch The Walking Dead. The Pharisees would then go, hey, you should not even be in the room when The Walking Dead is on. And then they would add, you know what? You shouldn't associate with people who watch The Walking Dead. <laughs> hey, just got real. And the Pharisees produced this weight, this heaviness on what it was like to follow and get close to God. And see, when we see this contention between Jesus and the Pharisees in the scriptures, often what's happening is Jesus is so upset that they've created this burden, this extra weight in order to get to God. And it's this weight that Jesus would often speak back, to, speak back against and fight against. And here's what's cool. This Pharisee, Simon, is the one who invited Jesus. And guess what? Jesus says, yes, I will come to your crib. I'll break bread with you. I don't agree with you. I, I, I know the way you think. It's not, it's not the way I think, but I'm going to come, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to have dinner with you. To, to the Christians in the room, when's the last time you've had dinner with someone you don't see eye to eye with? When's the last time you've sat down and broke bread with someone? Because we're encountering a Jesus here who doesn't just put people on blast that he doesn't agree with. He's sitting down, and he's actually having a conversation. And because the Pharisees were so consumed with being right, they felt the, the way to approach God was you had to be good enough. And they put that burden on everyone else. In order for you to get close to God and to know God, you had to be good enough. You had to do right because doing right meant being right. Here's the example of that. Luke, the author of this text, tells us in verse 39, he says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, what Simon was saying, he was looking at this woman and he was saying in his mind to himself, he's saying, yo, if Jesus, if you're any kind of holy teacher, if you're any kind of spiritual person, there's supposed to be a, a, sep there's, there's supposed to be a separation between you and them. And what Simon is saying is like, he's, he's almost questioning like, yo, Jesus, are you even really that dude? How, how could you be letting her, of all people, how could you be letting her touch you? It's proof. Luke is highlighting how Pharisees think, how they function, how they approach God. The other person in the story is this woman. This woman has has, has, is, ha is having an encounter with Jesus also. And this woman, Luke describes her as a sinful woman. 
And it's key to the scripture. Luke is juxtaposing this woman to this Pharisee. See, to be known as a sinful woman, she would have been equated as the disreputable, those who are on the outskirts. And what would happen when there was a, a meeting of nobility, when there was a, 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 a dinner like this, um, uh, just imagine if we took the walls off this auditorium, all the people who did good and had invitations would be in here eating, and all the disreputable people would be on the outsides watching. And the poor people would be waiting for there to be scraps of food left so they could run in and grab some food just so they could survive. Luke is telling us that's the class that this woman fits in. Luke says it this way in verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And think about it. I mean, this woman on the outside, we get to see she comes to this party. She wasn't invited. She wasn't going to be one of the people who got an invitation. There was no red carpet laid out for her, but she comes anyway. And we get to see she busts down the door waving. No, just playing. But she comes in and she runs in. And she's, she wants to have this encounter with Jesus so much that she's willing to push past what people say about her, Kayla. She's willing to push past what all the eyes are going to be on her, all the thought. She don't care. She's like, she even lets her hair down. That's a cultural no-no. She takes her hair down. She's like, yo, I'm going to get to Jesus. And she's, she's, she's fighting through all of that. I'm, I can only imagine internally what she's wrestling through. And she gets there and she, she gets before him and she's breaking down and she's crying and she's weeping and she's wiping his feet with her, her hair and she's crying and kissing his feet. She, the Bible uh, uh, doesn't necessarily tell us this, but the reason Luke is giving us all this detail is because she is showing Jesus the greatest type of affection that anybody in her social class could show him the depth of what she wanted to show. And it it got me to thinking, y'all. I'm like, yo, what was it? What what was it that drove her to push past the discomfort? I know the times that I get discomforted, the times I'm in an argument with my wife and something's like, you should go back and apologize. I'm like, no, I'm not. She shouldn't have said that to me. What, What was it that captured her heart so much that she was willing to push past the cultural no-nos? She was willing to push past even her own good judgment just to get to the foot of Jesus. My question, how do you approach God? How do do we approach God? How do I approach God? See, our approach to God is a clear indication of what we think of him. Think about it. Uh, take, Take a friend. You approach a friend based on your knowledge of that friend and that relationship. And there's probably some things that you say, oh, I can take to that friend. Oh, but I can't take to that friend. Can I get an amen? And then think about a coworker. Uh, maybe there's a, there's a coworker that you have uh, or uh, you think about your job and you approach them based on those things, based on what you know about them. We approach God based on what we think about him, based on how we answer the question, who is God and what he's like. How do you and I approach God? How do we approach God? Is it fear? Do you approach God in fear? 
I remember uh, down in West Virginia, I went to a, a predominantly all-white college, and I'm there with my Tim's on, and I'm looking at everybody else's boots, and I'm like a little fearful. <laughs> These boots have like, toe, they're pointy, like they have no laces. I've never, I'm from Brooklyn, I've never seen that before. I'm like, people don't really wear those. I've seen that on TV. Like, these are real, like, cowboy boots. I mean, they, dudes had on vests with no shirt. Like a jean jacket with no shirt. I'm like, yo, what's happening to me? How did, why did I come here? And I remember the first time without my basketball crew, um, I had to go sit down and have dinner. And I remember approaching the table a little fearful. I mean, I was fearful for good reason right? There was Confederate flags and deer cut, heads cut off in trucks and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, there was a little fear. But, but you know why I was fearful? I was fearful because what if they didn't like me? What if they didn't accept me? I'm thinking to myself, what if they actually rejected me? And we approach God much the same way, don't we? What if God really knew what you were hiding? What if, what if God actually knew the thing, the, the face that you were trying to save? What if God actually knew everything about you? Would he reject you? How do you and I approach God? Is it fear? Or, or maybe, maybe for you, it's not fear. Maybe you're not fearful when you approach God. Maybe it's entitlement. See, my youngest daughter, she, um, she gets good grades in school, um, and, and that's cool, you know, and, and we love her regardless if she gets good grades or not, uh, but she gets good grades in school, and oftentimes, I remember she's 16 now, and as she was growing up, she would be uh, maybe around 12, 13, 14, she would, she would feel like um, uh, when she asked to do something that we should say yes, like that was kind of how she felt. She was like, why can't I do it? I'm like, because I said no. She goes, well, I did my chores. I, do good, I get good grades. I'm good in school. Why, should, why can't I do it? Because I said no. And for her, she, it was mind-boggling. She's like, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Don't we approach God much the same way? God, I, I read the Bible yesterday. I prayed. Why I ain't get that raise? God, I, 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 didn't, I didn't curse her out. I, I could have. I didn't. Here's my list of what I need you to do for me. God, I, I didn't have sex. I didn't. I, I'm, I'm holding out. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. So me and you should be good. How do we approach God? Is it fear? Is it entitlement? See, so we're looking at this encounter so we can get a healthy view of who God is. We can get an accurate biblical picture of who God is and what God is like. The passage that, that Lester read starts, um, and again, you guys heard it, the passage starts with this dude, Simon, inviting Jesus to come have dinner. And Jesus accepts, okay, cool, I'm coming. And Jesus is there and reclining at the table, and boom, here, she didn't kick open the door. The doors were open. She runs in, and this woman comes in, and she's doing all kind of crazy stuff. And she's crying, and she's weeping, and she's before Jesus' feet. And, and, and I would imagine Simon is probably a little confused here, like, yo, what's, why are you doing this? You're messing up my dinner party. 
Like you're actually giving me a bad rap. I have a guest. I'm a Pharisee. I do good. And so remember back in verse uh, 39 where, where Simon says, if he were a prophet, he would know who this woman is who touched him. Remember, I love how the Bible says that, that Simon said that to himself. He didn't say it out loud. He said it to himself. So you know what I'm imagining? Jesus being there reclining at the table probably peeped him like, hmm, Simon, there's probably something going on with you. And I kind of know your background, so I know you're a little uneasy. See, we communicate in word, gesture, and spirit. And the spirit of what Simon was saying is this person is less than. This person is less than. She shouldn't even be here. And Jesus, peeping that, he says this in verse 40. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Jesus said, I love how Jesus uses parables and parables are just stories with meaning, with with purpose, with points embedded in them so people can understand. And and man, God, open our eyes so we understand the richness and the truth of this parable. And I think the first the first reason Jesus is telling this this parable is to correct Simon. He's correcting Simon's spiritual blindness, because think about it, Simon, for the whole meeting probably was focused so much more on the sinfulness of the woman that he couldn't see his own. See, listen to the parable. The parable says two people owed money. And then listen to Simon as he responds to the parable. He says, I I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I suppose he's, he, he's not even really sure in his heart. He's asking Jesus, why are you asking me this? I'm not a person in debt. I don't know what debt is like. I'm a Pharisee. I do good. I hold down the law. I'm waiting for God to show up and do the things that I've asked him to do on my list. But Jesus was clear. He said two people. Two people have a debt in this story. And Simon's been focused so much on the woman's sinfulness that he's missed his own. Listen to this. Listen in verse 44. This daggone pen. In verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to him, said to Simon. So this is Jesus. Jesus turns toward the woman and he says to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? I wonder if that was literal. Do you see this woman? Remember, she's crying. She's bowed down. She's in a a broken state. She's she's fallen over. She's broken all kind of cultural norms. And Jesus looking at her, but talking to Simon and anybody who has the mom that has the ability to look somewhere else, but be talking to you, you know how much it hurts. My mother was great at that. Looking at this. Do you see this? And I forgot to clean the bathroom or something. And she's really talking to me, but looking at the bathroom tub. It's really hard. Jesus is looking at this woman and saying, do you see her, Simon? 
Your spiritual blindness has forced you to not actually really see uh, the, the image of God that this woman was created in. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is juxtaposing this woman's action to to Simon's action. He's saying, Simon, you're so blind. You can't even see it. You're asking the question, who is this woman? You should be asking the question, who am I? You don't even realize that I, the God of the universe, am sitting before you, actually engaging in dialogue with you. You're so consumed with her sin. See, Jesus wanted to correct the spiritual blindness in Simon. And this woman, clearly, the other woman, this this other person who hasn't encountered, this woman is so aware. She's so aware of all her dirty laundry. It's been aired out in the community. People know exactly who she is and what her social status is. She is fully aware of everything, yet she's coming to the foot of Jesus and she's crying and she's crying out. And see, what we don't get told here in Luke, but see, the Bible was written in one big narrative. What we don't get told here is prior to this scene, Jesus is out in the crowds talking and moving about, and he's telling the crowds that forgiveness starts with him, that he has come to provide new life. And maybe this woman was in the crowd. I'm, I'm pretty sure this woman at some point was in the crowd watching Jesus. Maybe she saw Jesus heal somebody. Maybe she heard Jesus give one of his, his great messages to the crowd. But she was there and she saw it and she, she grabbed hold of, of what Jesus was saying so tightly that she went home that night. And by faith, she believed, man, only that dude Jesus can forgive me. Only if I could get to that dude, I know he wouldn't reject me. I know he wouldn't be someone who airs out my dirty laundry in front of me and makes makes a mockery of me. If only I could get to him. See, that's what's captured her heart. That's where she's getting the motivation from to push past the cultural norms, to push past what would be right and good judgment, to push past how she would be talked about. She pushes past past it because By her faith, she knows that only Jesus could heal her broken heart. And so she's running, showing him the greatest affection that she could possibly show him. And this is what we get to see. Listen, at the end in verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And I don't want us to think that her sins were forgiven because she worked really hard for it. Let's continue in verse 49. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith, your faith saved you. Go in peace. We didn't see a conversion happen there in, 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 where this dinner uh, account has actually happened. But we know, based on her response, based on the well of gratitude, is why she moved in this loving, kind act of, of appreciation for Jesus. Because she knows when she gets to the foot of the cross, he's going to say, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's peace between you and God based on your faith 
not what you've done. Come on, Renaissance. Hey, this is what I hope we don't lose. I hope we don't miss this. The, the real reason we're looking at this encounter, because in this parable, God is the money lender. And what does that mean for us? That means you and I are the debtors. And maybe there's some of us in here today. Some of us are saying, I'm not that bad. That's not true. And maybe there's some of us saying, yo, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. That's not true. There's two debtors. And maybe, maybe some of us think our debts are, are, are little, or maybe some of us think our debts are large. But what does Jesus say in verse 42? He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back. Listen, if you're Simon, if you approach God like Simon and you think you're not that bad, you still don't have the money to pay God back. If you're the woman, if you're sitting here and you're the woman and you feel like, man, as a, as a man or a woman, my sins are just too great. My debt is, is so great. Jesus is saying, won't you come? Because both of their debts were forgiven. And here's what our response should be. Our response should be, you and I are just debtors in need of debt forgiveness. That's the gospel. The gospel is that you and I are debtors in need of debt forgiveness. See, God knows the person who has little debt and the one who has great debt, they're equally unable to pay him back. And so he graciously forgives the debt of both. And here's what you have to know about God. He's not concerned with how much debt you and I have. He's not concerned with the quantity of the debt that you and I have. He is concerned about our awareness of it. Are you aware that you're a debtor? I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many verses you've memorized. I don't, hear, I don't care how many curses you've said. Are you aware that you're a debtor? And it's the person who acknowledges and knows that they're a debtor. When you come to Jesus, you will not be rejected. And a proper awareness of our sin should lead to a realization that we can't pay it back. And since Jesus knew we could not pay it back, he forgives it. He literally lifts our debt obligation and puts it on Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means that we accumulated a debt that Jesus is willingly obligated to pay. He became willingly obligated to pay. The Bible says it this way, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness simply meaning you and I become in right relationship with God. That's the gospel family. You and I are spiritually bankrupt. You want to know the way to approach God? Bankrupt. The way we approach God is to be bankrupt. You and I are spiritually bankrupt, and it costs $1,270 to finish the month, and we ain't got it. So Jesus comes over and hears us talking and says, how much do you need? How much do you need? You need $1,270? Well, here's my life. Here's my life, and that should last you for the rest of yours. That's the gospel. That's the God that we're encountering. That's the God that you and I get the opportunity to fall at the feet of and kiss his feet 
and wipe his feet with our hair. That's the God that the scriptures are talking about. And if that's true, why would you approach him with fear? If that's true, why would you? You are free to approach the throne of grace with boldness, saying, hey, God, I'm bringing all my dirty laundry. And while you're on your way to the laundromat, it doesn't matter who's looking at you. It doesn't matter what they're saying about you because you know when you get there, you're going to be made new. That's the gospel. Why? If this is true, why would we approach God entitled? Why would we say, hey, God, you owe me. I did what I was supposed to do. Now you owe me. And I'm not, I'm not saying God doesn't reward us for our faithfulness. But there's something different when in our hearts we believe God is obligated to do for us. Man, our only approach to God is bankrupt. And so we're going to move into communion. And here's what I want today. I want us to have a heart of gratitude that the body of the God of the universe was broken. His blood was shed on behalf of you and I so that you and I could be in right relationship with God. He is not concerned with how much sin or debt we have. He's concerned with our awareness of it. Today, would you be aware of your sin? Would you be aware that there is a separation between you and God. And today, maybe there's somebody who hasn't put their faith in this type of Jesus. Man, I'm saying today is a great day, better than any. And for those of us who may be approaching God with entitlement, I'm saying today, that's not the way we approach a God because, because God was the money lender and he graciously cancels the debt of everybody who can't pay it back. So we go humble, brokenhearted before him thankful with a heart of gratitude if our crew members could come forward today when you partake in communion I want you to allow your heart to be filled with gratitude for he who knew no sin became sin so you and I could be the righteousness of God when you're ready God thank you for your sacrifice thank you for who you are in Jesus' name, amen.